0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers and the greatest detective show on earth. I wish I could find that Johnny Dollar Airlines for $10 fare. Enjoy some great Johnny Dollar episodes right here.
3: From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Uh,
2: Mrs. French speaking. Who is this? Oh,
3: I'm sorry for my explosive
4: greeting, Mrs. French. It's a habit I've gotten into. This is Mr. Dollar from the insurance company.
1: Oh, yes. I received a message that you would called. But I don't think I understand you're coming to Chicago.
4: Well, I guess they haven't got around to writing you about it. They sent me here to talk to you about your son.
2: I see.
4: Then if we decide there are grounds for your fears about him, they've given me authority to go out to the Malay States and investigate the situation.
2: I am afraid for
4: Edward. I'll come out to see you about one thirty then, Mrs. Bench.
3: Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. It was truly Johnny Dollars.
4: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollow to Home Office Tri-State Insurance Group, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Edward French matter. Expense account item 1, $95, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and Chicago, the home of Edward French's mother. There the story went about as follows. Edward French had left the States after the war and gone to the Malay States where he managed a tea plantation concentrating on sales to a buyer for the Jewel Tea Company. He'd married an English girl, and their life seemed pleasant enough, but a letter from a constable Wicklow had reported the abrupt end of that. Edward, on a business trip to Singapore, had disappeared. The current crop of Malay guerrillas was suspected, but there was not one clue as to whether he was alive or dead. Defense account item 3, $1,283, airfare to Singapore. It was almost a week later that I jostled my way through the crowded streets to the office of the jewel tea buyer, Mr. Leapes.
0: It's know it's hard, Mr. Dollar. You won't believe this, but I was thinking of Ed just as you walked through that door. You knew about the disappearance? Oh, yes. Constable from Raub sent word down a week after he'd been here.
4: Uh, Mr. French did come here after he left his plantation.
0: Yes, we finished our business in the afternoon and went to dinner at the club that night. He left the following morning. Did you hear from him the following morning? Well, no, but I knew that was his plan. Actually, I wasn't worried about him, even after I heard about it. It's, uh, well, not peculiar, I guess, but strong will. If 50 men told him not to swim across a river, he'd do it just to please himself. You get to expect the unexpected from him. I don't know if I make myself clear.
4: I think I understand.
0: Selfish, maybe, better word. Uh, what I mean is that... It would be like Ed to suddenly leave for some place without bothering to tell anyone. Not even his wife? Of course of all, not his wife. Now, don't misunderstand. I like Ed, but I can't help disapproving of some of the things, uh, like the way he treats Catherine. But none of my business. I like him in spite of those things. I think Ed will show up when he gets ready to and laugh at the trouble he's caused.
4: You don't put any stock in the idea that the gorillas might have got him, huh? Bandits, I understand you call them. Uh, yes, well, of course, there's always
0: that possibility. Banner is killed now and then, but I'd expect Ed to be the last one.
4: If he just took off someplace, as you suspect, would you have an idea where he'd go? No, I'm afraid I wouldn't. The a big world, you know. Yeah. How do I get to Raub? I began to appreciate the state of siege British Malaya is living under. ...when I boarded the train the next morning. All the windows and all the cars were covered with wood... ...hard and thick enough to withstand fair-sized bullets. At the stopping point near Raub, ...I was met by two native policemen armed with Bren guns... ...who drove me the rest of the way in a jeep... ...that had been encased in armor. There was no trouble... ...but by the time I reached the police station in Raoub... ...I had a healthy respect for the dank wall of jungle... ...that pushed in from all sides... ...and the unseen enemy had hid... Because on the way, I was notified by the native driver that Constable Wicklow had been killed from ambush the day before. His replacement was Constable Downs.
5: It's a nasty business, cleaning them up. Poor Wicklow had been anti for almost a year.
4: Well, it must have happened after I talked to the police in Singapore.
5: Yes, last night. They attacked the stewardess estate That adjoins Springfield. Wicklow was killed on the way out with reinforcements. They'll single out the leader every chance they get. What do you know about French's disappearance? Very little, I'm afraid. I read Wicklow's report when I learned you were coming. Undoubtedly, the work of the bandits. Although it might appear to be kidnapping. Kidnapping? That's a new theory. Oh, hardly a theory yet. But it's not been their habit to conceal the bodies of their victims. This is the first case on record where a vehicle has been taken.
4: I didn't know about that either.
5: That's what Wicklow's report said. That's all I know about
4: it.
5: Mm. Constable, I want to go out and talk with his wife. Uh, How do you... uh, Take the jeep, by all means. It's rather late in the afternoon to start out. If you can't be sure of getting back here before dark, well, there's hardly any possibility that you'll take a chance. The native boys simply won't start back. They'll stay behind the barricade there for the night, and so will you. (laughs) French
4: estate, like the others, maintained about 50 private soldiers who held defensive positions about the place 24 hours a day. By the time I got there, they had pulled in for the night and were manning a tight perimeter around the main house. As the jeep passed through it, I saw that they were fairly well armed with rifles, light automatic weapons, and grenades. In sight of all this, waiting on the veranda and dressed as though she were about to leave for a cocktail party, Mrs. French looked entirely out of place.
2: French?
4: Yes. Oh, uh, didn't Constable Downs telephone about my coming? He said he would.
6: Constable Downs? Oh, I'm afraid he wasn't able to. Our telephone wires have been out.
4: Oh. My name is Dollar, Mrs. French. How do you do? I'm here from the States to investigate the disappearance of your husband.
6: The United States? I don't understand.
4: I was sent by the insurance company that carries the policy on his life. It's quite a big policy, you know.
6: Yes. Please, sit down.
4: Thank you. Uh,
6: Mr. Dollar, you must understand what our fears are, that Edward has been killed by the bandits.
4: There's no proof of that yet. As a matter of fact, Constable Downe seems to think there's a fair possibility that he hasn't been.
6: What did he say?
4: That they never bother to hide anyone they've killed, and your husband's body hasn't been found. Also, that they never steal cars, and your husband's car hasn't been found.
6: I... I haven't dared to help. What does he think it means?
4: I don't think he's sure, but he mentioned kidnapping. I didn't know until I talked to him that your husband had been in his car when he disappeared. Does that mean that he drove to Singapore?
1: Yes,
6: he always drove.
4: Through more than 200 miles of jungle during an emergency like this? Why would he do that?
6: Because everybody told him that he shouldn't. My husband was... uh, was like that.
4: You're convinced that he's dead, aren't you? Well,
6: I... I haven't dared to hope. I, I've thought the worst that any... it. Mrs. French. Where did it come from?
4: It's hard to tell. That way, I thought. Oh. Uh, you'd better sit down, Mrs. French. Come on. Come on, sit down. <sighs> About 15 minutes later, I thought I understood her violent reaction to the shots in the far distance. A small lorry pulled up in front of the house, and a blonde man of thirty or so years got out of it. He was introduced to me as Keith Stewart, manager of the adjoining estate. From one brief look that passed between Mrs. French and him, I thought I understood who she had been afraid for. Well, I dare say that
3: nobody would travel all the way out here if I caught it. You Americans are a surprising lot. Yes, I suppose so. And by the way, I very nearly did catch it. We heard the shooting.
6: How many were there, Keith? Hard to tell.
3: As usual, I could scarcely see the beggars. But their number's not as important as the fact that they're still in the vicinity after last night. I'm afraid we shall have to expect another raid tonight. The telephone lines have been cut. Yes, I rather thought they had. I tried to call. That's why I popped over. I think we can expect them here tonight. Is that your jeep, Mr. Dollar? Constable Downs let me use it. I wouldn't try to return to Raub until morning if I were you. <laughs>
4: Two hours later, it was dark, a double guard had been posted, and floodlights glared out in a 200-yard circle around the house. There was a rather strange supper shared by Mrs. French, Keith Stewart, and myself. The association between the two was obvious to me by the time coffee was served, and the rest of it came out later that night. I couldn't sleep in the uneasy house, and at 11, I left my room to go get some air on the veranda. But they were already there. And what I overheard from inside the house just about settled the case as far as I was concerned. I was waiting for a definite statement when the conversation was interrupted.
2: They're here,
3: go inside, Captain.
5: Oh. What is it, Stuart? Well, sir,
4: did a little war awaken you. I wasn't asleep. You said you had a weapon for me. Yeah. Yeah. Go inside,
3: Captain. All
2: right. Please be
3: careful. Right over here, Mister Dollar. Have a gun of American manufacture. Are you familiar with the Thompson product? Yeah, thanks. You'll have to arm it. The chamber's empty. Now, then. You're going out there with me? That's what you wanted, wasn't it? Very good. Rather an odd
4: way to carry on an insurance investigation, isn't it? That's right. But you would hardly call this an ordinary case.
7: Return you to the second act of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. There have been some changes made, and it's faster, it's funnier, it's got new life and brand new punch because Jan Murray's taken over. What show is this? Why CBS's Saturday Night Musical Quiz Sing It Again. That hour of melody, mirth, and money that's heard on most of these same CBS stations. Yes, Jan Murray is your new host. Alan Dale, Judy Lynn, the Riddlers, and Ray Block are your music makers. And there's still loads and loads of cash for identifying the Phantom Voice. Be sure to hear the news. Sing it again, starring Jan Murray tonight on CBS. Now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Lane covered. We've other guns to look about for targets. There's a movement to the left,
2: Stuart. Good man. Two of them. Take them if you like.
7: There's a hundred of them. The main force all right. Swing your fire. You Concentrate on their rear. Swing them out. We'll be in the enfilade position.
2: Thank <laughs> you.
5: It gave you a bit of a go last night, I'm
4: told. It was over by 2 a.m. I'm sorry I got your men into it, Constable. Oh, nonsense. They're policemen.
5: You brought them both back, didn't you?
4: Yes. The one death we had was a boy from the estate. Ah,
5: a beastly business. What about the bandits?
4: I don't know. I didn't say to count. There's been a development in the French disappearance that will probably surprise you.
5: Oh?
2: Uh-huh.
4: I overheard a private conversation between Stuart and Mrs. French. Or at least they thought it was private. I can think only one thing after hearing what they said. They're back of French's disappearance, not the bandits. Oh, see, here now. I told you it would be a surprise, but it's the truth. You suspect that there's something between them? It's more than a suspicion. I know that to be a fact. Good Lord. They talked about whether or not French knew about their association and whether or not he'd mentioned it to somebody who could have told me about it. She's afraid I'm suspicious of them, she said. What else could they have been talking about, Constable? I don't know. Uh, Good Lord. Did it
5: sound as though they'd killed him?
4: Yes, it did. But unfortunately, an overheard
5: conversation isn't much in the way of proof. No, no. Pity the body hasn't been found. That would help.
4: He didn't say so, but I sort of assume that Stewart has a wife.
5: Is that right? Yes, he has. Rather a pathetic, sickly woman. You can't say that about Mrs. French. Oh, no, no. I, I suppose one couldn't. I wonder if you could call Stuart
4: into town for something this afternoon. Maybe a report on last night's action. I'd like to talk
5: to his wife. Why, yes, yes, I imagine I could. I'll ask two or three of the planters. Uh, as a matter of fact, I should arrange a meeting to discuss common defense. But good Lord Dollar, this possibility is astounding. <laughs>
4: hot to move when Constable Downs opened his meeting, but I jeeped to the Stewart estate and was admitted to the room where Mrs. Stewart was resting, a pale, fever-ridden woman.
1: Mr. Dollar, you've traveled a great distance in order to ask questions. I find rather strange your hesitancy now that you are here.
4: There are some questions that are particularly hard to ask They're about your husband, Mrs. Stewart. Yes? Do you know about your husband and Mrs. French?
1: Of course I've known. He's in love with her. And I don't care.
4: Has he spoken of divorce?
1: Under British law, Mr. Donner. It would be my place to speak of divorce. Why do you ask?
4: I wondered if he or they had any plans for the future.
1: I assure you that any of Keith's plans for the future will include me unless he killed me. At times, I wish he would.
4: Do you think Edward French knew about his wife?
1: I don't know.
4: Mrs. Stewart, I don't know if you really think your husband is capable of killing you, but it looks very much as though he did kill Edward French.
1: I hope he did, and I hope he's punished for it.
4: Can you think of anything that that might help me prove that he did?
1: No. Oh, I wish I could remember.
4: French disappeared about a month ago. Evidently, he left Singapore in his car. If your husband killed him, he would have to have met him on the road back. Can you remember your husband leaving for any length of time about a month ago?
1: Yes. Yes, I do remember. A month ago, he left before noon in his lorry. He was gone for two or three hours.
4: Did he say where he'd gone?
1: No. I asked him, and he said he'd been inspecting the groves. But he was lying.
4: It was hard to know whether she was speaking the truth or what was manufactured by her hate for her husband. When I left her, I went back to the French estate. Mrs. French was reportedly too ill from the previous night's excitement to see me at the moment and I was told to wait. I waited until an hour before dark and then was faced not by the lady of the estate, but by Keith Stewart. My wife told me about your visit, Mr. Dola. She did. I was hoping that she wouldn't. I'm sorry that you bothered her. She's quite ill. At times what she says is entirely no basis of reason. Oh. She seemed to be all right when I saw her.
3: She told you that I killed Edward French. Do you think that's a reasonable statement? She didn't tell me that. And why should she say that she did? Probably because I told her. You told her. Yeah. Why would you think a thing like that, Mr. Dollar?
4: Because it doesn't look like natives work, for one thing. The body hidden, the car missing. That
3: doesn't necessarily follow, Mr. Dollar. A jungle animal might have made off with of his body. An armored auto such as his could be sold quite easily for a great deal of money.
4: His body might also offer proof of who killed him.
3: The car, too, possibly. I'm afraid you're in arrow, Mr. Dollar. Edward was killed by bandits. How do you know that? Considering the number of deaths attributable to them, I think it's safe to assume... You're in love with his wife. I make no secret of that, sir.
4: You made no secret of your conversation with her last night, either. What do you mean? I mean on the veranda last night, just before the attack. I see. You told her there was nothing to worry about, if you'll remember. You were wrong. I'm afraid you were, too, Mr. Dollar.
3: Spying is not looked upon with any amount of favor here.
4: It's not my usual method, but your stupidity made it almost
3: unavoidable. How do you think the murder is going to be received? I insist there was no murder per se. Edward was killed by the bandits. Keith. Catherine, will you go back to your room, please?
2: No,
6: Keith. I have a right to know what's being said.
3: Nothing is being said, my dear, that would be of any interest to you. Why do you say that, Stuart?
6: I've been listening, Keith. I have a right to be here.
3: All right, my dear. As you know, then, we were discussing the possibility that I might have killed your husband. It's a groundless discussion, since even if Mr. Dollar were convinced that I had, there would be the matter of proof. I've been expecting that. And you have a solution? Not at
4: the moment. But let me tell you this. I have Constable Downs convinced too. He arranged the meeting of you planters this afternoon only to give me time to talk to your wife. Keith. Please, Catherine, be quiet. The constable has probably radioed our suspicions to Singapore by now so you can see that the ball is rolling, so to speak.
5: Catherine, be quiet. Go to your room, Catherine. It'll be better if you'll go to your room.
4: You can see she's ready to break down right now. I don't think you
3: have a chance, Stuart. Stuart. She had nothing to do with it, Dollar. i accept full responsibility. We did fall in love.
4: Edward was a beast. That has nothing to do with it, has it? If you'd known him, you'd realize that it had a great deal to do with
3: it. He deserved to die. Life is cheap here in the Malay States. Good men have been dying. He wasn't a good man. He was a beast. And I took the emergency and used it to my
4: advantage. To Catherine's advantage. You met him when he came back from Singapore? Yes,
3: I drove my lorry to meet him. I feigned engine trouble, and when he got out, I shot him and drove away. But I didn't tell Catherine until after I'd done it.
4: Do you want to go into town and give your story to Constable Downs, or shall I send in for him? I'll go in. If you wouldn't mind, I'd appreciate it if I could go to my estate first. It's close to dark. I'd appreciate it. We'll go in the jeep, then. I've got two armed men, and then... All right, Mr. Dollar. I
3: won't say goodbye to Catherine. If we could leave now.
4: Oh, you're carrying an automatic I'd better take then. All right, we can go now. It was too close to dark when we swung into the last mile of his estate. The jungle seemed to press in closer than ever. The orange sun had sunk below the trees by the time we reached the house. The guard was set, and I wondered if I'd spent another night with a Thompson in my hand. We walked into the house, and there faced a man I didn't recognize until Stuart screamed his name.
1: French! French, but how?
4: An emaciated Edward French, a scarecrow, half alive and holding a pistol in his hand.
2: French, Edward. Yes,
5: Keith.
2: No, Edward, no.
5: You are Edward French? Yes, I am Edward French. I'm still alive. I stayed alive so I could come back and face the man who thought he'd kill me.
0: How is Catherine? Edward.
4: have known that I wouldn't die. I didn't die, Keith. Keith was going in to give himself up, French.
5: You won't have to now. Now, wait
4: a minute. Let things go the way they're going.
5: I know how things are going. I don't know you, but don't try to stop me. Edward.
3: Look, Edward, there's, there's nothing I can say. Nothing I can say, but, but, Edward, there must be something.
4: Give me that thing, French. Sure. There it is. Well, I've shown them a thing or two around here. Yeah? You sure have. Expense account item four, same as items one and three, transportation back to the States in Hartford. Item five, miscellaneous $200, $200. Expense account total, $2,739.50. Remarks? The story of French being left for dead and driving to a settlement hospital is too long to cover here. But he did, without letting anybody know who he was. The last I saw of him, he was being booked for murder himself. I had no idea that a cup of tea might have all this background. But I was there. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is the Paramount Pictures production, The Redhead and the Cowboy. Featured in tonight's cast were Jeanette Nolan, John McIntyre, Tudor Owen, Maria Palmer, and Dan O'Herlihy. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs> This is Dan Coverly inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
7: For more adventure and mystery tonight, CBS brings you Hopalong Cassidy, Gangbusters, and Broadway is my beat on most of these same CBS stations. Stay tuned now for Larry Lasur with five minutes of the latest news, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where you laugh at Jack Benny every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: Hollywood, it's time now off. Edmund O'Brien has.
3: Johnny Dollar.
4: Mickey McQueen, Johnny.
3: How are you? Mickey? Oh, I tried to phone you a
4: couple of times, but I never reached you. Well, I'm out a lot these days. Johnny. Well, I heard about your promotion to sergeant, Mickey. Nice going. That isn't good. They're taking my beat away from me and put me behind the desk. I... I've got to talk to a friend about it. Will you be home tonight? Well, you really sound worried, Mickey. What is it? Uh, nothing yet, Johnny, but. They'll be murdered before it's finished. My mind's made up. I want to talk to you about it. Sure, Mickey. I'll be here anytime you want to come
3: up. Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to whom it may concern, Hartford Police Headquarters, Hartford, Connecticut. I don't expect you to honor this statement, but since the reports to my regular employers go in on these forms, the following is an accounting of my expenditures during my personal investigation of the Mickey McQueen matter. You may wonder how I got mixed up in it. Well, it's been my privilege to have worked a number of cases with Mickey McQueen here in Hartford and through the years, a friendship developed between us. So when he phoned Tuesday night to say he wanted to talk to me, I was glad to ask him up. But when it got to be 1.30 in the morning and he still hadn't arrived, I wasn't so glad. He arrived at 2. I'm sorry I'm late, Johnny.
3: Yeah, what held you up?
4: Ugh. I was about to drop off. I had to sink, Johnny. Oh. You're in uniform, Mickey. What about your beat? Yeah, my beat won't miss me. After 20 years of walking it from dark till dawn, checking its doors and passing the time of night with its people drunk and sober. Yeah. Is it too late for a drink, Mickey? I got your brand, some Irish. Yes, that was good of you. I, uh... I've been a good policeman, Johnny. I can say that without sounding like I'm stuck on myself, can't I, now? Well, I've never heard anybody else say anything else, Mickey. And I've got more friends to make credit than I have arrests. I'll say that. But I've got a quiet beat. I think there are quieter beats in town. Maybe you're lucky. Here's to it. All right. But be careful what it is. There's there's murder being done and planned right this minute, Johnny, and them that could stop it, don't have the heart right or wrong. What are you talking about? I know what I'm talking about. Are you feeling all right? Feeling all right? I'm as healthy as I was yesterday, ain't I now? I didn't see you yesterday. You have to take in my job, put me behind a desk. It's a great end for a man that's been active for 20 years. After 20 years on your feet, you should take a rest. You've earned one. <laughs> the very words of the commission, Johnny. But, Johnny, I... Yeah, Mickey? Uh, never mind. The devil takes them all. I've used up enough of your time. Now, wait a minute. You came over to talk about something more than your new job. What's this stuff about murder being planned and being done? I shouldn't have said it. I wish you'd forget it. What's the matter with you? You know me well enough to tell me. You know me well enough to know I'll keep any confidence you want me to keep. You're a good friend, Johnny. Maybe that's why I've changed my mind about telling you. Then why did you come over? Because I thought I was going to talk to you, but I'm not now. All right, it's your business. But you're acting like a kid. Now, if you don't have anything to say to me, it's after two, I... And I have a job in the morning. All right, Johnny. I'm sorry I bothered you. I'll say good night. I didn't sleep very well for the rest of the night. In sort of a half doze, parts of Mickey's conversation kept coming back to me. And the more sleep I lost over it, the more I wished I'd been less grumpy and more sympathetic. There wasn't a job for me the next day, and right afternoon I decided to drop by his apartment and find out his mood when he was off duty. Mickey's apartment occupied the ground floor of a narrow gray row house not far from
2: mine.
4: I could hear a woman crying somewhere inside. I smelled domestic trouble, but I pushed the buzzer anyway. are you that? I'm Johnny Dollar, a friend of Mr. McQueen's.
8: Oh, yeah, Johnny Dollar. He said to phone you if I ever need it. Is he home? <laughs> in there.
4: She pointed in the direction of a door smaller than the outside door, the door to either a bathroom or a closet. It was a closet. The clothes were bunched at one end of the rod, and from the other, still in uniform... His own polished leather belt drawn tightly around his neck hung Mickey McQueen. I walked back into the lace curtain living room. The woman who had let me in was in her middle thirties. She wore too much makeup, and her white blonde hair was anything but natural. She had stopped crying, and she acted as if she were waiting for me to start something.
8: Well, what about it? Do you explain yourself, or do I get three guesses? Never mind that look. I only live here. Oh?
4: I didn't know Mickey had a wife.
8: Oh, maybe he was ashamed of me. My name is Thelma.
4: I'm sorry, Thelma.
8: You're an old friend of Mickey's?
4: Yeah, but he never told me about you.
8: Had you seen him lately?
4: Yeah, last night. First he phoned me, then he came by to talk to me. What did he say? I'm not sure. He was pretty handy with double talk. Maybe I was supposed to understand it, but I didn't.
8: What was it about?
4: About his job, change he was making, and something about murders being planned and done and nobody doing anything to stop them.
8: Then he didn't tell you. What? That I was leaving him.
4: He's never mentioned you. Why were you leaving him?
8: Oh, because it was all wrong. I never should have married him in the first place. Why did you? Because he was the kindest, most wonderful man that ever lived. Does that answer your question?
4: Not quite. Is there more?
8: Did you know his first wife? Yeah. Well, then I guess you know he took her death pretty hard. He'd been married ten years. I met him after she died. He was lonely, and so was I. Well, he was pretty wonderful to me. I, I thought I could help him. It wasn't because of him I was leaving, it was me. But I never thought he'd
1: do this.
4: I don't think he did. What do you mean? I think he was murdered. Why? When did you find him?
8: Oh, I came home about a half hour before you got here. Have
4: you phoned the police? Not yet. I
8: didn't know what to do. Where'd you been? I told you. I was leaving him. I've been living in a hotel. Does it matter? Well,
4: why'd you come back?
8: Well, oh, just to get some things I'd left. Why are you asking me these things?
4: Well, it's murder, there's bound to be a lot of questions.
8: I don't think it was. Everybody loved him. He didn't have an enemy in the world. Why would anybody want to kill a man like Mickey McQueen?
4: For the rest of the day, I tried to talk myself into leaving the matter in the hands of the police where it belonged, but I couldn't do it. That night, I started making the rounds of Mickey's beef. I talked to a corner magazine vendor who had sold him a mystery, a woman in a cigar store who had talked with him, and a cabbie who had borrowed five bucks from him. None of them gave me anything helpful. My next stop was the Cedric Hotel, where I looked up the house detective, Ned Martin. Ah, oh, poor old Mickey. I'll miss him. So will I. Did you see him last night? Yeah, he dropped in. He always did, once or twice a night, just to shoot the breeze, you know. Why'd he do it? Did he leave a note or anything? I think he was murdered.
5: What makes you say that?
4: Came over to see me about two thirty this morning. There was something on his mind. He wanted to talk about it, but he wouldn't. Well, yeah, that figures. What do you mean? Well, I noticed something about him last night. He was real low. I asked him what was the matter. He said it was because it was his last night on his beat. He was supposed to check into his new job today. But that didn't sound right to me. Did you know he had a wife? Yeah, I heard about it. Then I hounded him till he showed me a picture of her. Bleached blonde? Yeah, she looks it. I didn't want to embarrass him by asking, but I wondered about her.
5: What makes you think it was murder, darling?
4: Well, do you think Mickey was the type to kill himself? Well, no, but how can you tell? I guess you can't. All you can do is try to find out. Well, if you don't have anything more, I'll be on my way. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Huh? I guess it was a dirty trick, and I wish I hadn't done it, but I snooped that marriage. I found out who she was. Her name was Thelma Weaver. She did a couple of years at Joliet. Where'd you get that? Things like that don't stay hidden. I'd drop it if I were you. I really would. What are you holding out on me? It's for your own good, Johnny. I'll shake it out of you if I have to. Okay, hero. You know Fred Cool, the Calcutta club over in Bartlett? I know of him. He's a police informer, isn't he? They're part-time. Uh-huh. If you won't take my advice and forget it, go talk to him. And
5: don't tell him who sent you. you.
4: I want to talk to you about Mickey McQueen. Do you have an office? Your a cop, too? Only a private one. I was a friend of Mickey's. Oh, sure. Roy! Yes? I'm in my office for a little while. If there's any trouble, buzz me. Roger, Fred. Come on, this way. Got quite a crowd tonight, Fred.
7: Sure, sometimes I get a lot of out-of-town trade.
4: Did you see Mickey last night?
7: No, I didn't. I get along fine with Mickey, he won't take any payoff, but he don't push me around. How is he?
4: Do you know his wife? His wife? I didn't even know he was married. Her name was Thelma Weaver before Mickey married her. She did some time in Joliet. Why do you bother me with this? I got work to do. You knew Mickey was dead? No, I didn't know that. I don't see how it would be enough, but it struck me that if somebody knew he was married to an ex-con, they might try to use the information. I suppose you're right. Yeah? Right, Fred. I think you'd better come out.
7: Important? Yes, I think so. Be right out. Pardon me, darling. A little trouble outside. Wait here. I'll come right back.
4: I waited. And while I did, I took a quick look around the office for another way out in case I might need it. There wasn't any unless the steel door in one of the walls was it. But before I could try it, the other door opened I wasn't expecting Fred Koo to return so quickly, and neither was I expecting who did come in.
8: I, uh, didn't expect to find you here, Mr. Dollar.
4: Likewise, Mrs. McQueen.
8: Uh, I was looking for Mr. Koo. What for? Well, I thought I might help if I could. Mickey kept this notebook, you see, where he wrote down all the places he stopped when he made his rounds. This place was one of them.
4: I thought if I could talk to this Mr. Koo... Did you know Fred Koo... I know. Do you know anybody named Weaver? Thelma Weaver?
8: All right, mister. That's enough. Reach.
4: Don't be crazy. What good would that do?
8: Stay where you are. Don't try anything. I really mean it.
4: She looked like she really meant it. It was a small revolver, Colt 25. I didn't know whether she had come in meaning to use it on Fred Koo or me. But it didn't make much difference at the moment. She had it pointed at my midsection. I couldn't figure it. She held her little revolver as if she was used to the feel of it. But there had been something actressy about the way she said reach. I couldn't figure her, but I decided not to take a chance. I grabbed up the inkwell from the desk and threw not it, but the contents at her. Hey, what's it? The... Okay, drop it. Drop it. <laughs> drop it. Now, sit down. All right. What do you want? That depends on what you want.
8: I told you. I want to find out who killed Mickey.
4: At the apartment earlier today, you didn't think anybody had. What about it?
8: All right, Johnny. How much do you know?
4: That your name was Thelma Weaver that you spent two years in Joliet. That's
8: right, that's right. And after two years in that place, I didn't want to go back to the life and start all over again. I gave the bunch in Chicago the slip and came here. I was hanging around trying to pick up enough to pay my way to Florida or someplace, and that's how I met Mickey. He arrested me. Vagrancy. <laughs> what a laugh. He showed in court the next morning and got me released in his custody. Oh, he treated me like a daughter... He loaned me some money, offered to get me a job, and I really felt for the first time like I could start life all over again. Oh, I know it sounds corny, but But
4: good. You make it sound real good.
8: You don't believe me, do you? Sure.
4: I believe you as far as you've gone. I even believe the part about starting a new life. You saw that Mickey had a heart as big as the city, and you didn't lose any time moving into it. That was smart. It was about the safest hiding place you could have found. For you, but not for Mickey.
8: How did I know about Fred Coo? Somebody spotted me and told him. And he didn't waste any time getting in touch with Chicago.
4: Those men out there, are they all from Chicago?
8: Well, most of them. Did you spot the tall one? He talks with an English accent. Yeah,
4: I remember him. Roy?
8: That's him. He came first. He checked the possibilities on Mickey's beat, and then he found out about Mickey being moved over to a new job.
4: Where was he being moved?
8: Some desk job. Where? At the police arsenal.
4: The arsenal? How did Roy find that out?
8: I told him. I had to. He made me tell him.
4: What are Roy's plans, do you know?
8: Yeah. The Marquardt building. The one that has all the wholesale jewelers.
4: Nah, that's no good. Mickey was supposed to help them with a job of that size or they'd reveal that he was married to an ex-con. That's not enough. They must have more than that on you or him.
8: Oh, I might as well tell you. Can't hurt him now any more than I've been hurt. His name is Roy Weaver. I'm married to him. He threatened to bring bigamy charges unless Mickey helped him.
4: That would do it. With your record, bigamy would be a long stretch.
8: Yeah, five years. Mickey would do almost anything rather than cause me to. Who killed him? Roy did. I wasn't there. I swear I wasn't. But they met him after he got through work at 5.30 this morning.
4: Why did they kill him?
8: Mickey was all ready for his new job, and he had the keys to the
4: arsenal. Here's your gun. If you're on the level, you may need it, and the caliber's too small to do me any good.
8: What are you going to do? I'm
4: going to the police.
8: Why not use the phone? It'll
4: be tapped, and it would take too long to explain it. That bunch would be in here before I got started.
8: I wouldn't try it if I were
3: you. Uh, where
4: are you going, Della? I'm going home. I was waiting for Fred Q, but I guess he decided not to bother.
3: Fred had to leave. Did Mrs. Weaver entertain you with her sordid story?
4: Yeah, it was very pleasant. She's a charming girl. You were going home to think about it. Well, if you don't mind, get out of my way, Carl Benson. Come I'm afraid I do mind. I couldn't chance having Fred interrupted at the arsenal. Could... Get out of my way! Hey, where are you gone.
2: Come on, come on! That's enough!
4: Ah, that's fine, Carl. Now, shall we go back to the office and wait? Bring him along, Carl. It's a pity you became involved in this dollar. I'd hope there wouldn't have to be any more violence. You did stop
8: him.
4: Yes, Thanks for the buzz, darling.
8: Oh, it was a pleasure. Look what the skunk did to my dress. (laughs) Did Fred get started all right?
4: He's well on his way. Should be back within the hour. Hey, Mr. Weaver, what do we do with this guy? Keep him out of the way. Put him in there. And see that he stays quiet. Sure. Hey, you. Turn around. At least I found out what was behind the steel door I'd noticed earlier in the evening. When my eyes opened and I got accustomed to the light from a single dust-covered bulb, I realized that I was in a sort of wine cellar. There were some bottles, but most of the storage space was taken up by a large and varied assortment of birdless tools. There were a few weapons, too, but I knew they were nothing compared to what Fred would bring back if the raid on the arsenal was successful. I glanced at my watch at 11:15, and right after that, I heard the heavy latch on the door being turned. I got back into my position on the floor, closed my eyes, and listened. Don't forget the bars, Carl. We'll need them for the inside doors. I got you. Hey, Benson, you take these. I'll bring the rest. You want the guns in there, Mr. Weaver? We won't need them. We won't need them. Uh, uh Crocker. Yeah? Listen closely now. We're behind schedule. Both cars are in back. In the Buick, you'll find the things from the arsenal. Yeah. I want you to move half of them over into the Cadillac. What about the grenades, Roy? They're in a case marked CN-DM, irritant gas M6. I
3: got it.
4: Open the case and put half in the Buick. The most important is the cordite powder for the vaults. There are two boxes. Put one in the trunk of each car. Right. And be careful. It's Very touchy stuff. Yeah, I know. I've handled it before. All right. Get along, then, and hurry. Okay, it won't take long. Now, Fred will be in charge of one car. I'll be in the other
3: all right. we're we'll
4: agreed that we'll meet at the north entrance at quarter past midnight, both to approach the building from the east on Lincoln. You will have dropped two men to guard the south entrance. Two of my men will subdue the guard at the north.
5: Yeah, the better they'll spin the
4: alarm in a big hurry. You can trust me. They'll use Thompson's. Thomas! Yes,
2: Roy?
4: Where are you going? Oh,
8: well, don't be so snoopy. I'm going to follow the nose. You're coming with us. Sure, Roy, if you want me to.
4: I don't need you, but I don't think I should feel safe without you with me. Don't be long. Be right back. Think everything is ready from in here, Mr. Weaver? Good. Go to the cars then, Carl. What about the Seamus there? Oh, lock him up again. We'll decide what to do when we come back. I guess he can't cause no harm in there. I tried to force the door that time using one of the bars they had left behind, but I couldn't do anything with it. Then I started poking the cement walls. I knew better than to expect to find any other exit, but with the biggest burglary in the history of Hartford underway, I had to do something. I kept a check on the time, and it was 20 minutes before they were due to arrive at the Marquardt building when a sound stopped me. The steel door was being opened. I moved behind it, still holding my bar. Dollar. Dollar, it's Ned Martin. You in here? Yeah, Martin. I'm here. How did you know I was here? Some dame phoned the hotel. She told me you were here. Why should she call you? How should I know? I don't even know who it was. She just said she knew you came to the hotel
5: and that you were locked up in here. I mentioned the Calcutta to you, so I came over to see what it was all about. Now, what's the matter? Don't you believe me?
4: I don't know what to believe. You said you were holding something out on me when I talked to you. I was. I knew Fred Coo was selling the information about Mickey's wife to some guns from Chicago... I knew it could have led to trouble. Why didn't you tell me? You said it was for my own good. I thought it was, and mine too. I didn't want you to know so much you'd have to tell where you learned it to prove how smart you were. I don't like this kind of stuff. You got a car? Yeah, but it stays right where it's parked till you tell me what's going on. This Chicago bunch raided the police arsenal. They're armed with everything from cordite to tommy guns. They're going into the Marcotte building in less than 20 minutes. What's that? Wholesale jewelers. Would you take me out there? I'll take you part way if you're crazy enough to want to go. That's good enough. Let's get into the office. It's dead. Who'd you want, police? Yeah. We could stop on the way. It'll take us 15 minutes to get to the Marquardt building. If we run into a patrol car on the way, we'll stop it. If we don't, you can drop me and then phone in. Where's your car? the speed we traveled, we should have at least picked up a traffic cop, if we didn't. Martin wouldn't take me any closer than the corner of Atlantic and Milton. We reached there at 12 minutes after 12. That gave me two minutes to get to the Marquardt building. I didn't make it before they arrived, but it didn't make any difference. Both cars had pulled up and were unloading men. From a doorway about 50 yards down, I spotted Fred Koo and Roy Weaver. Then I saw Thelma. She got out of the Buick and started toward me.
7: Elma, where are you going?
4: Weaver shouted at her, but she didn't answer. Instead, she stopped. And I saw the little gun glitter in her hand as she turned back to them. Then I saw what she was aiming at. The trunk of the Buick, where the cordite powder was.
2: Elmer! Elmer! stop it! The
4: car went up in a blast of powder and gasoline. And she moved back toward the other one. Weaver McQueen, as the department knows, was DOA at emergency hospital. None of the mob got out alive except Roy Weaver, who lived long enough to sign a confession to Mickey McQueen's murder. I want you to know that I may have lost a good friend, but you have lost a better policeman. I hope to see those early news accounts that called him a suicide corrected. Expense account total, no dollars and no cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is the Paramount Pictures production, The Redhead and the Cowboy. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Conrad, Martha Wentworth, Herb Butterfield, Jack Moyles, and Ray Hartman. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Dick Cutting inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. There'll be fast-moving, true police adventure on CBS tonight when Gangbusters comes your way again on most of these same stations. This evening, Gangbusters presents The Case of the Stranger in the Hall. Stay tuned now for five minutes of the latest news. This is CBS, where you laugh at Jack Benny every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: Thanks for joining us, everyone, at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Reviews are greatly, greatly appreciated for 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon.